bells will be ringing indeed, especially in the world of pro wrestling. I start with some happy news, though, and I want to send my congratulations out to Ty Mello and Sammy Guevara, as well as Alexa Bliss and Ryan Cabrera, as both couples welcome new additions to their family tree this week. Not a bad way to end the year. Speaking of year-end, we're not quite there yet. Is it too early to be playing Christmas music? I mean, it is December, so I suppose not, and us here in Toronto have been fortunate enough to not have experienced our first heavy snowfall. I have to emphasize heavy because there was a bit of a blizzard on Friday of combined wet snow and freezing rain, though luckily it all cleared up by Saturday morning. Lucky for me because I still haven't put my winter tires on yet. And of course, with the holiday season around the corner, it brings up the age-old question about Die Hard being a Christmas movie. You can debate amongst yourselves for the time being, but for now, I wanted to announce this year's holiday schedule. Some of you may have noticed that I've already started putting up the best of polls in the group, which will continue for the next couple of weeks, and then it's on to my holiday episodes. First, the week prior to Christmas, I will turn back the clock. No, it isn't daylight savings again, but I will be reflecting on some of the biggest moments of 2023. And then it's the big one. My annual Crystal Ball Drop episode will be available the week between Christmas and New Year's, where I will put on my Nostradamus hat and predict what I see happening in 2024. And this year, I won't be alone. There may be some surprise guests for your listening pleasure, so stay tuned. It's been a pretty big week in wrestling. For starters, Impact had, well, I really don't know what that was supposed to be this week, but it was basically the same product set in some kind of alternate universe where Impact talent basically portrayed 80s-style cartoony characters, and I did not enjoy this in the least. I've been a huge proponent of Impact Wrestling in recent years, but this just didn't make it for me, especially after a couple of great weeks of programming following Bound for Glory. But I feel this will be the case until the official name change, or at least until the new year, as they seem to be in a bit of a holding pattern for now. And then apparently the devil is all elite. We saw a big angle on Dynamite this week where a few masked assailants tried to sneak attack on the champion MJF until number one contender Samoa Joe thwarted those plans. You know, this has got to be the worst storyline in recent memory. In fact, MJF's entire babyface run has been a bit of a flop in my opinion. I already didn't care for his forced fake friendship with Adam Cole and the thing with Roddy Strong and the Kingdom and now Samoa Joe and Wardlow were apparently involved and the whole feud with Jay White and Bullet Club Gold, and it just didn't sit well with me. I'm not sure where this is heading, but I no longer have any interest, and I wish it would just hurry up and get there already. One thing that AEW is definitely better known for is its in-ring quality, and that's pretty evident with the ongoing Continental Classic. The one thing AEW could certainly use less of, though, is championship belts, and it was a bit of a slip-up because I could have sworn that Eddie Kingston said he was putting both of his titles on the line in every single tournament match, which to me would suggest that Brody King should be the ROH world and strong openweight champion. But that was not the case, so a lot of confusion there. Perhaps he misspoke? Who knows? But the matches in this thing have been pretty good so far. The other great thing in AEW is the character work of both Christian Cage and Tony Storm. They are two weekly highlights for myself personally, I just feel it a bit premature to have Christian Cage versus Adam Copeland one-on-one match on free TV instead of saving it for pay-per-view, especially with one only a few weeks away, but that's Tony's MO for you. It does seem like a rather desperate attempt to boost ratings, so we'll see what happens there. Swerve Strickland is another guy who's really been coming into his own lately and developing a pretty solid character. 
The company also really seems to be behind him, which is a good thing, as he could be the AEW's first African-American world champion, which would be a huge deal. He's great on the mic and in the ring, and is a strong character. It's really a no-brainer. He's already on the leaderboard in the tournament with six points as of this week, so hopefully he keeps that momentum going. Over on the NXT side, they have a PLE happening next weekend as well, and less enthused I could not be. As I'm writing this, it completely slipped my mind what the main event even was, and I remembered that it's probably because Baron Corbin is on the challenger side. Ilya Dragunov is on my shortlist for Wrestler of the Year, but he's got his work cut out for him in this one. We also have the men's and women's Iron Survivor Challenge matches. I already lost interest in the women's match after Lash Legend qualified, but speaking of the NXT women, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. I love Roxy, but that poor girl can't cut a promo to save her life, which she proved this past week. The segment with all the women backstage was so forced and awkward, and it just reminded me that I have no idea who any of these girls are. I could have sworn it was Fallon Henley who interrupted Roxanne, but it would not surprise me in the least if it wasn't. I feel with NXT that they often try to squeeze too much into a two-hour time slot, and most of it just becomes a blur by the end of the show. Hopefully things pick up in the new year, as they need to build some strong programs for Stand and Deliver next year, but I'm definitely expecting some main roster talent to be involved. Reverting back to AEW, well, not really, but an AEW program, and that's ROH, I did mention on the board this week my frustration regarding the ROH women's title situation. Just last week, we had Ronda Rousey, who is a huge internationally recognized star and major attraction, that just casually shows up on a random episode and got the win for her team. But then they tease something with Rousey and Athena, which I'd imagine is the match more people want to see, even though the actual program has been developing longer. But then they end up giving us Billy Starks challenging for the title versus Athena at Final Battle. I don't understand that logic at all, and I'd have no problem with it, but then why even use Rousey as part of the angle? It just left such a sour taste in my mouth. I'm not even a Rousey fan, but that's a marquee match that should be headlining a pay-per-view, while Starks versus Athena could have happened on any random TV episode. Underdog stories almost never work in this day and age, especially when the underdog has been presented as such a loser for so long. The best underdog stories are ones where there's at least some kind of belief that the underdog can win the title. I think it probably will happen in this case, but then what? Do they even have any challengers lined up if Billy were to win the belt? Also, I've said before, but I have to say again, Tony really needs to keep his face off TV. But I know he's a fan of his own shadow, so that's not likely to happen. And moving on to, I guess, what is the biggest story of the week, and it had to happen, but CM Punk is back on WWE television for the first time in just under a decade. What an incredible journey it's been. I know there are skeptics out there, and I was initially one of them, but let's just wait and see where this goes before casting any judgment. That'll be safe for the Judgment Day. See what I did there? I thought Punk's return promo was exactly what it needed to be, and it was clearly very effective. A magician doesn't pull the rabbit out of the hat right away. You build the suspense until you get to the right moment, and then, pipe bomb. The one thing I did find kind of confusing is that they seem to be positioning Seth Rollins as the heel in this potential program. I think both are honestly better off as heels, and this is one program that I actually wouldn't mind if they blurred those lines a little bit and made each of them more like tweeners instead of full-on heels. It would be a similar dynamic to Mayweather versus McGregor. 
We also saw some other returns to WWE TV this week with both R-Truth and Randy Orton, both of whom seem to have picked up right from where they left off. Orton has immediately been thrust right back into WWE storylines, and Truth is basically a supporting comedy act as he's always been. Going forward, I'd expect any Rumble build to be held off until the start of the year, but some programs may have already been teased. It looks like we're getting the rematch between Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins on the Raw side, and then on SmackDown, it looks like the destination is Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns based on the events of this past week. The only thing that I didn't quite buy in that whole angle is the competition between general managers, especially when we know talent just switch back and forth between shows anyway with no explanation. The draft is a joke, and I really wish they would do away with the concept moving forward. I'm going to leave it at that for now. As I said at the top of the program, stay tuned for my holiday episodes. And until next week's NXT Deadline review, I leave you with an ABC. Uh.